right? Um, I'll be going over uh, the history of the founding um, of Mormonism, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, briefly, what they teach. Um, it's deep. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but essentially, you can find uh, a number of different positions that Joseph Smith had, a number of diff- different positions the church has had that are in conflict with each other, but there is historical accounts of them, so wading through all this, I try to pick the closest to what they currently um, teach, and then we're going to have an opportunity to discuss how to witness um, to people that, um, my preference is called LDS, right? So I think Mormons is not intended to be derogatory, but sometimes it can be, and then they want to change their name, so the LDS. Um, but that's, that's the goal, and then we're going to have a time where JT comes up and corrects everything I get wrong, <laughs> helps answer uh, Q&A. He is our, our resident expert for the day. No pressure. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Holy and righteous Father, Lord, help us now, Lord. We are not exegeting a text, uh, but we're going to be discussing, Father, one of the many variants of belief that is an aberration. It's a wrong Jesus, and there's no forgiveness there, Father. Uh, We don't want to puff ourselves up uh, with, uh, with information and be prideful. We want to understand how better, Lord, to convey uh, the truth of Christ, the true Christ, to a people that, generally speaking, are very kind people. They are very hardworking in their, in their righteousness, their false righteousness, Father, even as we heard earlier. And they're tired, Lord. Many of them, they are uh, discouraged. They are depressed. They turn to all manner of things in secret because no man can work his way to you, Father. It must be the true Christ of the scriptures that moves in our hearts, Lord. So be with us now. Help our discussion. Uh, help us to uh, speak clearly and well and just uh, maybe be a profitable time of education and exaltation of, again, the true God, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I have a few things for you here. Again, I encourage you to speak up. Um, I titled this On the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Mormons. Start off with a definition for you guys. Um, this is a study in the cults, right? That's what we've been talking about. Cult, uh, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, number one definition, is a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. And so, obviously, everything that we are covering would fall under the category of cult. Um, I use that uh, term. It's fitting when we talk like this. I would caution you against using that term cult when you're dealing with people that are in the LDS church because of the negative connotation, right? They're not going to hear the word cult and think, oh, um, they're just seeing my beliefs as not being unorthodox, which, I mean, the the LDS church would say that we're the unorthodox ones, right? So there's no debate there. But it just brings this idea of a small group of people in the woods burning animals and just all of that baggage there. So it is a cult by definition. We'll reference it as a cult, but I would discourage you from using that in one-on-one interactions um, with people because of the negative connotation. Now, um, a little exercise here. I'm going to describe some of the beliefs of a specific cult. Now, you'll, you'll probably get the answer. since the topic of the study. Um, and I want you to picture in your mind which cult I'm talking about, okay? Number one, its founding prophet was visited by an angel leading to an additional book of Scripture. Uh, again, um, or uh, another preface, I'll be using a lot of terms. 
um, that Mormons use, such as apostle or um, elder, scripture. None of these are true scripturally, but for sake of reference, we're using these terms the way they're used inside the LDS church. So hopefully that's clear. Uh, so founding prophet visited by an angel leading to an additional book of scripture. Uh, a geographic area associated with the faithful followers. That's number two. Number three, a specific reverence for the founding prophet. Number four, a belief that their religion goes back to the original Adam and all of the true prophets that came after him. Number five, a belief that the Bible, as we currently have it, has been adulterated from the original. Number six, a rejection of the doctrine of original sin and the Trinity. Number seven, an unbiblical or twisted emphasis, maybe an idolatry, of the family. Okay. Um, number eight, a belief that works are needed to obtain salvation. Not evidence of salvation, but needed to obtain salvation. Two more. Number nine, a total abstinence from alcohol. That's part of their practice. And a belief that marriage can potentially continue into the afterlife. What am I talking about? And Islam, very good. You smarty pants. Um, Islam is what I was talking about. So why am I talking about Islam when we're learning about the Mormons? Well, all of those beliefs are shared by both cults. I bring this up to say, um, we, we know from like the book of Daniel and other places that there are uh, rulers in high places, principalities, right? Um, we, wrestle, we wrestle not against flesh and bone, but against rulers in high places, against principalities. Um, the prince of Persia held, was it Michael? Or Gabriel and Daniel, one of the, one of God's archangels was 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 hindered in coming, Michael, um, by the Prince of Persia, the demonic forces, right? The principality there. Um, there are things in in the spiritual realm that we're just giving a little peek into. It's it's not the Lord does not see fit for us to be concerned with it in our day to day walk, but we're told that it's there. And so my idea, uh, looking over this, is that. Um, Satan's never had an original thought. Right? Um, he's only taken God's creation and perverted it, twisted it, flipped it upside down. Same thing with demonic forces. Um, it's the same lie. It's essentially the same lie. Um, it's packaged differently for a different group of people. Uh, we have different personalities, different cultures, different things appeal to us. It looks different, um, but it's, it's not even a new lie. It's an ancient lie, and it's repackaged. And it's sold to people in a different area with different proclivities. It's all aberrant. It's all wrong. So, yes, very good. Thank you for that. Uh, origins and beliefs. So, we'll get it kind of uh, the most extensive portion of this is going to be in the origins of uh, Mormonism. And it is not a study of Joseph Smith specifically, but obviously we'll have to cover much of his life to understand. This is all, uh, or the majority of it, until we get into the latter portion of his life, is his account of what happened previously, but not in real time, if that makes sense. In other words, he wasn't keeping a journal. This happened today, this happened today, this happened today. Later he said, oh, let me tell you what did happen. And so even that changed in time. But this was his recollection of what was supposed to have happened 
in the past. He was born in 1805 in Vermont um, when he was the age of 14 or sometime between then when he turned 14. His family moved from Vermont to upstate New York. Uh, his father was a school teacher. I know there's some debate. I was looking whether Joseph Smith was illiterate or not. You can find that online. Um, definitively, it's not clear, but it doesn't make sense to me that he couldn't read at all uh, if his father was a school teacher. Um, but that's not that's uh, not definitive on either side. Um, he had a vision when he was 14. This was a time where there was uh, an intense... Um, well, I'll ask you, um, this is so the first 20 years of the 19th century, what's going on in New England culturally? That's significant. We're well into it by this time. This is like 18, I think from 1795 to 1840. What is it? Second Great Awakening. Okay, Second Great Awakening. Um, and this is important because uh, what are some of the things maybe on the negative side that are associated with the, the Second Great Awakening? Yes, that's what I'm looking for right there. The, the emotionalism, the, uh, or even Kurt was talking about some of this. this um, the, the, they didn't have the lights and all that, but I mean, it's the same principle, right? You're, you're, you're coaxing people's emotions. It's revivalism. It's, it's looking to the first great awakening and saying, what did they do? What's the formula? Let's do that. Let's get the, the, the anxious bench, which we call the altar and, and the more um, decisional regeneration church now. They had the anxious bench. They had this whole idea of... Um, uh, if they could just get people's emotions right, then they could be converted, right? That's going on. That's, that's, it's popular when he's very young, and as he, he turns, uh, he's a teenager, young man. This was going on in the area at this time. Is it important to understand the context of how all this comes about? Uh, while confused over the various denominations, uh, Smith, his own account, wanders into the woods, right? He just, he's seeking God. He wants to be a good Christian, but, you know, all these different denominations, which... Which one do I pick? And he calls out to God and says, God, what's the true church? What, what church do I join? Um, now, his personal accounts do differ, uh, whether the manifestation that he saw was God the Father, God the Father, and God the Son. Um, at this time, the church holds that in the forest, when he's there, he sees a vision of God the Father and Jesus Christ, and they tell him that all the churches are apostate, right? There's no church to join, um, and uh, claims that everything is wrong. So I'll pause there for a second. What's wrong with that? I, two, two major things there. God the Father, God the Son appear to him. That's one problem. And the second problem is all the churches are wrong. God the Father is spirit. You can't see him. Correct. Do we have a verse? Do you have anything? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like in a big old vision with like mm-hmm. a you know beard and whatnot. Yeah. And yeah, that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. But there is a verse that says God is spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know which one. And then you also cannot see God in red. I didn't think of that. That's totally right. <laughs> totally right. Like even when Moses was on on the mountain. Past, yeah. Glory, hidden the rock, the glory passes, he looks. Yeah. Kurt? Yeah, also the 
Yes, that's the other thing. Yeah. Means that the gates of hell prevailed. Right? <laughs> okay, very good. So, do you have something? Okay, I did. Um, so, this happens. He goes in. He's, he's informed that there's no true church, right? I bet you have no idea where this is going to go. Three years later, um, Joseph Smith, 17 now, uh, he prays again. And uh, God and the angel Moroni. You guys heard of that, the name Moroni? You know, is it in La Jolla or Del Mar? The, La Jolla, the beautiful building full of dead man's bones there. Um, that angel on top with the, with the trumpet, that's Moroni. He appeared and he gave a vision of golden plates that would later become, um, at least part of the, uh, the Book of Mormon would come from the golden plates. Um, portions of the golden plates would become the, the Book of Mormon. Um, after that, the next day, so after this vision he has, he's, um, he's 17, he has this vision. He goes out a few miles, and three miles or something like that from his family's farm, um, and he finds in the ground, buried, a, a box of these golden plates that he had in this vision. Now, Smith tries to pick these up, and he's shocked, and he's struck to the ground, and um, he is told that he's not ready, and he has to come back. Is it, is it once a year? or rare? I know it's for four years. Is it just once a year? Okay. I, that was conflicting, too. So he has to come back once a year for the next four years. So that's yeah, that's why it's, it's conflicting. Yeah. Be right. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very difficult. See, it's hard to keep a consistent lie. That's that's the problem. Um, so, so yes, and as a county comes back, at least I think the church's position is he came back once a year, the same day for the next four years, as as God is preparing him to be able to get these these plates. Now, in the four years between his finding the plates and when he is deemed worthy to pull them out, he gets himself in a little bit of trouble. Okay. Um. He was um, a soothsayer, if you will. Uh, um, he, he was known as a con man by his detractors, but um, he would charge people to find things, lost things, um, to, to speculate on minerals and, and things of this nature using uh, a seer stone, okay? It was a, a stone that was supposed to be mystical, magical. He would drop it into like a top hat. He wore a top hat. And then he put his face into the hat, and evidently God or... I don't know, would just give him the vision of where it was. And he charged people for this. And amazingly, when people would go, they would not have success obtaining whatever he charged them to find. And so he was taken to court. He was fined over these things. And there's actually debate over that too, whether they were, the, church, uh, the church's position is that he was not a criminal. He had some, some processing fees associated with witnesses that were called but he was never found guilty. Right? Yes, people brought charges, but he was innocent, but he had to pay court costs, essentially, is their position. But there's, there's a record of his, of his court dealings, at least. So that's his practice. For these four years, that's how he makes a living, uh, by charging people to find things and other sort of con man games. Um, now, when it comes to the, the golden plates, we do have, and I, I had a Book of Mormon, and I meant to bring in, I left on my desk, because I want you guys to see this. Um, there is 11 eyewitness accounts that are in the front of every Book of Mormon of the 11 people that visually saw these uh, golden plates. That's their account. Um, it's important to note that all 11, uh, one of them was David Whitmer, 
Um, so t- uh, David Whitmer, Joseph Smith, uh, nine others. All of those nine people, direct family relations to Whitmer or Smith, okay? Doesn't mean that they're lying, but it's suspect, obviously, right? Um, uh, David Whitmer, by the way, was the man who first acted as chief scribe uh, for Joseph Smith. And so the, the situation that Joseph Smith had uh, with these, these golden plates was um, they, were, um, they needed to be translated. And so he would drop his, his seer stone in his hat, he'd look into his hat, and then he would get the, the, the translation and he would tell it to a scribe who would write it down. He had a number of scribes uh, at this time, his first one, David Whitmer, being his chief scribe. And so that's how, uh, that's how we begin to translate the plates. The plates were believed to be engraved by the prophet historian, that's the church's title, the prophet historian, Mormon, that's where the, the term comes from, and his son, who can guess his son's name? Mormon and his son, I already said it. He has a trumpet. Moroni, Moroni, it's pronounced both ways, I think. You never, I read it, so I don't know how it's pronounced, I've heard people say it both ways. Mormon and his son Moroni were the ones that, that etched these golden plates uh, originally. The language is called Reformed Egyptian. You guys heard of that before, Reformed Egyptian? Nobody else has ever heard of it either, okay? Um, and <laughs> there's no other examples of this in history. Um, it's interesting, right? Because this is supposed to be... Um, um, I had trouble compiling these without getting ahead of myself, so I'll get ahead of myself a little bit here. But it's supposed to be the, the lost ten tribes of Israel that came over and, and transcribed these. Um, Moses got the first 40 years of his education where? In Egypt, right? Best education. He was like the Pharaoh's grandson, essentially. I'm sure he spoke Egyptian. I'm sure he wrote and read Egyptian. Uh, educated in the best schools. He wrote the Pentateuch. What did he write the Pentateuch in? What language? Hebrew, right? right? This idea that there's this language, not only in a different language, not only an Egyptian language, but an Egyptian dialect that there's no other examples of um, is clearly problematic. <laughs> yes, uh, the Mormons are not Reformed. <laughs> reformed Egyptian. Yeah, okay, very good. Any, anything so far? Okay, very good. Now, uh, Smith began to translate these plates with the help of the seer stone, as I mentioned. Uh, but Smith claims that over time, guess what? He gained the ability to just do it without the seer stone. Like, he just got that good. And he could just kind of dictate off the top of his head. Um, I mean, that's not his account, right? He's, he's giving the revelation, and he's, and he's speaking it, and it's being transcribed. Um, and the uncompleted work at this time, I think there's a hundred and... 30-some pages, I forget exactly, 130, 140 pages had been completed, and he called it uh, the Book of Lehi, and it was stolen. And now there's a lot of debate over who stole it, and if it really exists, there's conspiracy inside the Mormon church that it's like the super secret information that the world can't handle, so it's retained in Utah, Salt Lake City, and only certain people can see it, and other people are like, no, it just got stolen. Um, But from that point, the, the important point, I'm sorry? It is higher level. <laughs> so there's like certain things they'll tell you Oh yeah. You're you're right. And I was talking with um with um a friend who um is 
come out of the LDS Church is contemplating the gospel right now, and um, said he likened Mormonism from its founding to to MLM to a pyramid scheme, um, and being like the first one or like the greatest one, and it really is because it's more than just material wealth; it's like spiritual wealth in their eyes, and and they they tie directly in their doctrine. The more converts that you make, and the more they make, that that's all coming back to you. So it it is a, a pyramid structure. And then he told me, I don't know if this is true. He said that MLM programs are like exploding and have been exploding all over Utah because the structure is so similar to their their culture. So is that true? Yeah, all the essential oils, all those MLMs, mm-hmm. they're all owned by Mormons. Essential oils aren't real? It's not. I mean, those are real. Yeah, I didn't realize that. They also own all the ancestry. I know that because looking through my own native lineage, they've done better work than anybody else I know. Yeah. I mean, I put in my name in their sites, and I'm like, wow. Like, they got all my family I know, their dates. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. They're amazing historians. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. They have done amazing. They're not amazing historians. <laughs> They've done amazing work in uh, in modern genealogy. Yeah, tra- tra- tracing uh, modern yeah, 18th, 19th century genealogies. They've done a lot. Very poor historians. Yeah. You can cut that part out when you. <laughs> um, I don't know if I mentioned, but so after after this book is stolen, the book of Lehi, um, Joseph Joseph Smith says he he loses his ability to do this at all. For two years, so he's no more translating is going on. He's lost this ability. Now, when he regains this ability, he began to translate uh, what we now know as the Book of Mormon. So that's when that that took place. At this point, after all of that, and again, this is his testimony after this has happened. Uh, his new chief scribe is Oliver Cotery. Uh, he joined Smith to return to the woods to pray, where they were visited by guess who. He, they, he was already visited by Jesus and Moroni. Gabriel's a good guess. No, somebody else. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Uh, yeah, this is where he was visited by John the Baptist. Um, he is meeting all of the top dogs. And um, <laughs> he was informed by John the Baptist that God was reinstituting the Melchizedek priesthood. And that Smith, shocker, would be the first elder of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, now, we laugh at that, and a lot of it is laughable. I'm not trying to be mean. A lot of it is laughable because of the absurdity of it. But here's the interesting part. I mentioned earlier that these lies uh, are satanic. They're demonic, right? And they catch a lot of nice people. They catch a lot of legalistic people. They catch a lot of mean people. There's, there's a lie that's tailored for every personality that's out there. Um, but they are um, they're lies nonetheless. But I don't know much about Joseph Smith. You get it from what's out there. You get kind of an idea of the type of person he was. I don't really see him as being the type of person that could anticipate theological objections coming out in the future and having a robust understanding of the priesthood in the Old Testament and heading that off with a doctrine here. I just don't see that. I don't see that as a possibility. It very well could be. But what I find more logical is that Joseph Smith was actually likely, I don't know this to be true, likely visited by supernatural beings. Most likely demonic forces, okay? He could have just made it all up. Very possible. I don't know that. Um, But I do know that somebody around him somewhere 
has a decent idea of what's going on here, right? When Jesus came, Jesus was prophet, priest, and king, right? He was a prophet. What tribe had the prophets? They, they, they came out of, out of, of different tribes, right? Um, um, kings. The kings came, at least in Judah, the right line. Judah, right? David, line of David, correct. How about priests? Levi. Was Jesus Christ a Levite? What's that? <laughs> Wrong answers right there. Was Jesus Christ a Levite? He was not. He was uh, of Judah, of the son of David. So how is he, uh, so we get uh, prophet and king, how is he a priest then? Kurt preached about it, I don't know how long ago that was, brother in Hebrews. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek, right? You guys track with me? Did I lose anybody? He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. That is the theological wiggle room that's being provided here for them. So clearly, this, this Old Testament priesthood has been fulfilled in Christ, right? It's done away with. But they're like, wait a second, no, no, no. We're talking about an older one back from the time of Abraham when, when he, he gave a tithe to Melchizedek, that priest of old, that mysterious um, priest from the Old Testament. That's, that's our lineage, that's our theological lineage, is what they're saying. And of course, as I mentioned, Smith, shocker, would be the first elder of the LDS Church. Now, in 1830, the Book of Mormon went into print. It's not that long ago when you think about the power and the wealth that they've amassed, right? 1830, not that long ago. Um, And the first organized LDS meetings began uh, with Smith and Coterie, uh, where they were both, both ordained as elders, and Smith took the title of prophet. Now, Smith continued to receive revelations and new doctrine from Angels, including the practice of polygamy. Um, it's a shocker. Um, uh, a fallen man um, gathers uh, money and a following, and in his own account, God's told him he can go ahead and have more wives. In an attempt to build uh, a communal society uh, of Mormons, he, he would name Zion. That was his plan. He made his first of many moves of the church out west, right? And they're starting on the East Coast, moving out West. Um, and the first stop was in Ohio, then Missouri, then finally Nauvoo, Illinois. In Nauvoo, Smith became a spiritual and political leader, which is kind of interesting, too. If you, if I paralleled them earlier with Islam. Now it's, a, it's, a, um, it's political and it's spiritual wrapped into one. That is the, the same path that he is taking. <clears throat> Um, in response, I'm sorry, let me back up here. In Nauvoo, Smith became a spiritual and political leader. The Nauvoo Expositor, that's right, was criticized Smith's power and practice of polygamy. This is a local paper. And in response, and with the help of the controlled Nauvoo City Council, Smith, and again, the City Council of Nauvoo, they destroyed the Expositor's uh, printing press. They went in and busted it apart. And then he became afraid, Smith became afraid for his safety. So he fled to Carthage, Illinois, to stand trial for the, the destruction. But while he was in jail there, he turned himself in, uh, a mob broke into the jail cell there, and they shot him and killed him. He was 38 years old. Now, it's a lot of damage he's done to a lot of lives in 38 years. Uh, after Smith's death, many of the church leaders jockeyed for control. Again, uh, they had a decent amount of followers by this time. 
Um, and there was some political wrangling around who would take the helm, who would be in control, how they're going to work this out. Um, another reason why I see so much demonic influence in this, because if this was simply a work of a crazy, creative, talented guy, you would think after they weren't well established yet and he's dead, you would think it kind of fizzled, but it grows. Um, Ultimately, Brigham Young, I'm sure you guys have heard that, or I imagine you've heard of the name Brigham Young, Brigham Young University in Utah. Um, He takes control, probably more influential than Joseph Smith, all things considered, um, and what Mormonism is today. And he's the one that took uh, to to flee. They they kept moving because they would rouse up the the natives wherever they were and cause uh, tumult. Um, He brought them to Utah. And at that time, it was the Utah Territory. It was not... Uh, state, and that's where they've been ever since then, uh, headquartered today. So um, that's the background, essentially, of the founding of the LDS Church. Any questions about that or comments on that? We'll have a Q&A at the end, but just any quick input there? Um, is it true that they got rid of the polygamy stuff so that Utah could be a state? Yes, to my understanding, absolutely. That, that, uh, it's, that's correct, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> they can't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When uh, were the Mormons okay with black people, or like when did God start? You're gonna get. That's the good part. I'm not there yet. No. Uh, no spoilers. Spoiler alert. Okay. Um, so beliefs. Um, the teaching of Mormonism essentially is this: that they you'll hear uh, Mormons refer to God as. Do you, you know what they normally? Any any idea? Heavenly Father? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, right? That's what I hear the most. Elohim. What's interesting about Elohim? It's a biblical word, right? Where do we see that in the scriptures? Genesis. I mean, yeah, all over. But I mean, it's right there at the beginning, right? In the beginning, God. It's the plural of El, like, right? El Shaddai. It's the plural, one God and plurality, um, Elohim. Um, that's, that's how they refer to God. And, and we see the, in the scriptures, the Lord thy God, and Lord's all capitalized. It's uh, Elohim is Yahweh, right? That's the, or in reverse order there. Um, that's what's going on. So again, there's a lot of true things in, in their teaching that are twisted, perverted, um, and mangled, right? Um, I've heard it said like the best counterfeit money looks the most like the real thing, right? But it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. Um, so, um, Elohim was a man in their teaching, just like we are, and on another planet with another God, and through following um, the principles of Mormonism, living right, doing all these things, he was essentially given his own planet, uh, where he and his uh, um, harem of spiritual uh, women were able to have a huge spiritual family, uh, all of these kids. And as they, um, his favorite son, favorite sons, oldest sons, Satan and Jesus, the oldest favorite, uh, uh, mine uh, escapes me. Um, but um, they, they begin to discuss with all of these, these spirit children, right? They're, they're without bodies. Uh, what they're going to do, their plan for earth, Elohim's own planet, what are we going to do with it? And um, Satan has an idea that he's going to be the savior of the world, and it's ultimately rejected. Uh, Jesus says he's going to be the spirit. He's going to be the savior of the world, and and Elohim goes with Jesus's plan. Uh, and Satan gets upset. He takes a third of the angels with him. You see the, the similarities, the correlation there. Uh, a third of the spirit children, 
and he, they, he insurrects against God. And because of this, God casts them all down to earth without physical form. Okay, and that's where we get some sort of demonic uh, theology there in, in the Mormon church. Um, where you mentioned earlier was there was a, a group of uh, spiritual siblings. And, and interesting enough, that would make Jesus and Satan spiritual siblings, right? Blasphemy. Um, but there's, there was a neutral bunch. They didn't, they didn't want to go with Satan's plan. But they didn't really get won over by Jesus' plan either. So they were cursed with what? They were cursed with black skin. How horrendous is that? They were cursed with black skin and sent down to the earth. Um, they've abandoned that teaching, but it was there for a long time. The Mark of Cain, yeah. Very good, the Mark of Cain. So taking a biblical reference and the Mark of Cain, they had black skin, and that's why they were not allowed to have any sort of uh, position to do anything up until um, recently, essentially, very recently. Um. So they come down, um, and of course the ones that side with Jesus are all given very uh, fair skin, come down, physical form, on this earth, um, and then some of this stuff, I don't even like to think about it, I don't even like to talk about it, because it's just so outside the bounds, it's so blasphemous, but their teaching is that God the Father, Elohim, I guess I should say, Heavenly Father, they don't have the God the Father, Elohim, Heavenly Father, as they would refer to him, came down and physically had a relationship with Mary to give Jesus a physical form. So as many came down and were given physical form, kind of his favorite son, Jesus, hung around spiritually with Elohim and was given physical form. Um, They do teach that Jesus uh, had at least three wives, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary and Martha. Uh, He was a polygamist in their view, had many children. Um, And the teaching of the church essentially is this, that you, if, if you are married in the temple, if you live a good life, you do all these things, you tithe all that you're supposed to do, that not only will you have the celestial highest level of heaven, but you can become like God. And so I go back to the, what I started off earlier saying, Satan has no original thoughts. There's nothing original. There's twisting and perversion, right? What was the lie in the garden? What was the lie to Adam and Eve, or to Eve first? What was the lie that the serpent gave her? You can be as God, right? knowing good and evil. It's the same lie, essentially. A little different here, more you know, expanded. It's the same lie, though. You can be as God if you do these things, is the lie. Um, of course, that's not true. To uh, gain salvation in um, the LDS teaching, um, they have a, 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 a triune heaven, I should say, right? They have a three, a three um, levels of heaven, um, the scriptures speak of three heavens, right? How do the scriptures reference them? The, yes, the abode of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the sky, right? Okay, so two physical, one metaphysical, dwelling place of the um, of of God, right? Without form, without physical form. Um, they speak of the three heavens as being destinations in eternity. There is the, the highest level of heaven, where if you, if you followed all the principles of Mormonism, married in the temple, do all these things, you can be there, and that's where you have the opportunity to dwell with Elohim and one day have your own planet. And if you've been a good Mormon wife, you might have the opportunity to be one of many wives for all of eternity, being spiritually pregnant for time and all eternity. So um, <laughs> this is clearly a man-made male, you know, specifically male made scenario. Uh, I guarantee you no woman came up with the idea to be eternally pregnant. 
<laughs> um, celestial, celestial, like terra firma there, the earthly um, uh, heaven uh, is for specifically all the people that didn't adhere to Mormonism but were good people. It's terrestrial or celestial? Celestial. Oh, I got them backwards. And terrestrial is the bottom one. Okay. Okay, okay that's, that's where you have name. Terrestrial is essentially hell, but it's not hell? It's heaven. It's just like not cool heaven. Okay. It's like, uh, it's not hell. Hell is a place. It's the East County of San Diego. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I live in East County. Terrestrial yeah. Lakeside. Yeah. <laughs> it's Lakeside. Okay. Yeah. That's where, like, uh, Hitler is. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So that's a God that's okay with sin. You see that? That's a God that's okay with sin. Uh, not that somebody as wicked as Hitler couldn't be saved, but that there's nothing that's done. He's, he's, sin's not covered. He's just okay, right? Because the, the Mormon God, Elohim, is a nice God, right? Um, but uh, a loving God, the God of Scripture, who is loving, hates sin, right? He hates wickedness. He hates murder and he hates idolatry and blasphemy because he's righteous and he's good. There's no category in their minds for that. Um, there's also, it's interesting enough, um, what, what is going to be the biggest blessing in heaven? What, what is the, the greatest uh, thing we will experience in heaven? God. God. Unhindered by our sinful flesh. An eternity of perfect fellowship. No person on this earth, billions, right, has ever experienced this. In eternity, you will know God. You will be able to worship Him, fellowship unhindered by your sinful flesh. In the teaching of uh, Mormonism, um, if you're not in the celestial highest heaven, God only comes down once a year, once in a while, for a day or so, right? So for a Christian, there's no conception of a heaven without Christ, without God. There's no such thing. Heaven is heaven because that is where God is, and that's where we'll fellowship with Him, right? So you see how, how aberrant this is. Um, their idea of heaven appeals to carnal, sinful man. It is a place where we enjoy our desires, right? Not where our desires are changed to be what we were created to be, and that's fellowship with our God. Um, you need to be baptized, too. I didn't mention that. You need to be baptized in a temple, and that brings up a big problem for people since the church um, went aberrant, when did they when did they say the church went astray? Okay, a long time before, just I mean, over millennia. Okay, so roughly 600 AD, uh, the gates of hell prevail, and then and nothing happens till 1800. What do you do with those people, right? Uh, as Christians, we have a category. We understand the sovereignty of God, the revelation. He does what's right. Um, but they have a big issue. Nobody's baptized all that time. What, what happened? Well, they have posthumous uh, baptism. You can be baptized for dead people. Okay, and um, and then oddly enough, as the mores of our culture have changed, and um, currently the you know the big moral uh, position to have if you're enlightened is consent. Everything has to be done with consent. Well, Mormons got in a little bit of a hot water because they were baptizing. Alive people on behalf of dead people without the dead people's consent. All right, this is so, so absurd that these areas we get into. And so they came up with uh, the teaching that essentially, um, if you're a Mormon and you know your great grandmother wasn't a Mormon and you're worried about her not making it into the ter- uh, celestial kingdom, 
She could never be in the highest one, but she could get a bump up. Um, you could be baptized for her posthumously. But then she, where she is, she's now given the, the opportunity to accept that baptism. So she has to consent to it. Um, so nobody's offended. Um, Mm-hmm. And she has been baptized for me, and I am alive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so proxy and posthumous. Uh, yeah, okay. So Very good. Get That's your aunt? Okay, so you didn't hear that. She said that her aunt has been baptized for her a couple of times. Left um, a Baptist denomination because, Christ, uh, because Mormons are more, what's the word you used? More accepting and friendly. Friendly. Okay, and to be totally honest, um, being converted in fundamentalism, being in that bubble for some years, um, measuring against that, I would say that's probably true, um, that they are nicer and... Um, Mormons are uh, good neighbors. Um, they, they're, they're trying to work their way to heaven, right? So there's a lot they're really trying to do. It's, it's all empty. Generally speaking, they tend to be kind of nice people. Of course, they're not more ex- ex- truly accepting, right? Accepting is an un- anybody can come to Christ um, or kind than regenerate believers. But there are definitely churches out there. Or they have the, the moniker uh, of a church. They probably have an orthodox statement of faith and the ex- exclusivity of Christ and the, the seats are filled with uh, a lot of unregenerate people, and, and Mormons run into them, right? And then they get this, they're you know, running into unregenerate professors of, of faith. And so um, there, there's some, I think there's some reality to that, but only in measuring, uh, like the Pharisees, right? Religious unconverted people and uh, religious unconverted people between the two. What time, what time is this over? Is it three? Or am I already go over? What is that? What time is it supposed to be over? Okay. Yeah, we started a little late. So at this point, there's a little more there, but what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to ask JT to come up and help. Uh, it, this is a game. It's called Stump JT. Um, and... Um, so he is, uh, you can tell briefly your background and then, you oh, know, some questions. Um, well, my whole family on my dad's side is Mormon, like Utah. We live there, like very, very um, LDS, very involved. My grandparents, very traditional. So they would actually adhere and affirm everything that we're saying today, whereas newer Mormons, not so much. Um, Studying Mormonism is how I actually became a Reformed Baptist because I realized I couldn't defend um, my faith on bad theology. So um, that's how I got here. And actually, so God having me study and leading me to study Mormonism is what actually brought me, I would say, eventually to our church. So I want to praise him for that. So, uh, but yeah, um, I spent a lot of time studying it and just so I could witness to my grandparents and my whole family. And if you've ever... 
I'm assuming everyone here is like evangelized before or witnessed to somebody. But the hardest thing <coughs> ever you'll ever do is have to explain to your grandparents why you don't want them to go to hell and why you want them to know the true and risen Lord, right? And why you want them to come to a true faith and have a true um, relationship with the, the God of the Bible, not the Mormon God. It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, it's very hard that my grandfather passed. No sign of repentance there. So just praying for my grandma at this point and still reaching out to her. But, yeah, if you have any questions, um, I can try and answer them. It's been a while. Oh, lots of questions. Just kidding. Go ahead, Andrew. Okay, doesn't matter. That's okay. I'll answer them all. So do they believe in hell? Um, yeah, so I actually have a great graphic. Um, I'll try and get it to... Aaron to maybe get out. Um, and uh, by the way, we, we, we were both, well, we messed each other up. He was right the first time. It, you have three levels of heaven. You have the celestial. It is the terrestrial. And then the bottom's the telestial. The best way to remember that is like the bottom. Um, it's kind of like the leftovers. And telestial's like a made-up word. So he was like, eh, I got to make something up. <laughs> so he like made it up. He just combined the two. Um, they do have a hell. Um, spirit prison. And basically, the way that this flowchart breaks it down is um, when people die here, LDS um, members go to what they call as a paradise, and then um, everybody else kind of like waits for resurrection and everything, and then they'll go to like spirit prison or spirit hell, and then the LDS will come into spirit prison or spirit hell, and they'll witness to people down there to give them a chance to get saved. And basically, the only people that go to hell are apostates. <laughs> from the church and uh and uh you know what does it say sons of perdition so satan and his followers but sons of perdition meaning apostates so hitler good for the celestial but if you were mormon and you walked away you're going to hell is what they basically believe it's mm-hmm. the worst thing the best yeah so they have to get married in the temple so they got to be married. It's essential. Got to be married. Got to have kids. Got to do it all. Um, they go, there's like three levels in the, the celestial itself. And so like the best Mormons, they're sealed in the temple and all that. They will go on to have their own planet. And like he said, make spirit babies. And then the ones that were not married in the temple, but were genuine Mormons, genuine Mormons, they'll chill in the like celestial kingdom, um, but they don't get to have their own planet. They just get to hang out with Elohim. Yes. That, you know, it's like it would be a lot, you know, but only the, that elite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a very elite. Yeah. They're both works-based religions that, you know, striving to make it to the top. Yes, and being mm-hmm. married is like the num- being married and baptized are the two absolute, there's no bending on that. I think all you guys had questions. I'll answer them all. Okay, so the whole sin, with the thing with sin, and it's a workspace. So basically, just be better, be all around better. Like, on average, have good days and have less bad days. That's how they deal with sin. Like, eh, most of the time he was cool and he wasn't, you know, that's how they kind of look at sin. Like, you did all this good and, you know, this much bad, so you're good to go. Does that make sense? It's kind of like weighed like that. Evangelizing to Mormons is very, very hard today because. 
the elders or the people, elders, that's what they're called. The Mormon missionaries, you see them, right, looking snappy, and they're, and they're called elders, and that's what they call themselves or whatever. They're going to come to your door, or you'll go and see them at an event, and you'll talk to them. If you bring any of this up, they're not going to know what you're talking about. They don't teach this. Okay, Mormon missionaries today don't know Mormonism. So you have to convert them to their own false religion before you destroy that false religion and bring them to Christ. It's very hard, very difficult, because you're going to be telling them things that you believe from what the Scriptures say, and they'll be like, yes, yes, I agree with all that, of course, we're both Christians. So you have to explain to them the bad, like you have to teach them what they are supposed to believe, then break it down. It's very hard to do. Um, So the best way to do that... James White had a good way of saying this. He was talking, because he has a lot of information on this stuff, and he's um, dealt with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses through his whole career. And he always says, he says, with Jehovah's Witnesses, you've got to know this much, this deep. With Mormons, you've got to know this much, but this deep. And I go, like, one step further. You don't need to know all these things about the temple or... Uh, just focus on Jesus. You need to know your mm-hmm. Bible and who Jesus is. Because if you can know who their Jesus is, fake Jesus and then real Jesus, you list that out for them with the attributes of their Jesus, and then you hit them with Scripture and show them the true Jesus. And that's the, you can't go wrong with that. That's the best way to go. If you get someone who does know more than the normal lay Mormon, um, hold on to that. Keep trying to get them to come back because that's someone you're going to want to have these conversations with and everything, but... I don't know if that really answers it, but you're going to have to, you got to focus just on Jesus. I mean, I, I just don't, there's good information you can get to, to give them and show them and be like, see, this is what you believe. And then they go, oh, what? So. Okay, well then, he'll probably, and, and he probably was, when that was a while ago, and so at that time they were still teaching um, these things that Aaron was already talking about, and he barely scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mormonism could in itself be like a, Whole, yeah, doctrine and covenant, doctrine and covenant, and, yeah. and the yeah, and the pearl grape. What's the big? I didn't mention the, the his famous summary. He revealed, he pulled back the curtain, revealed it's God. The King Follett discourse. Yeah, uh, King Follett discourse. I'll spell it out for you. I have lots of quotes from that, but I won't give it to you guys right now. Um, essentially, I, I actually encourage all of you. If any of you have any interest in Mormonism and you want to take the chance to really talk to them about what they believe, you can find it on their churches. Like, go to the Church of Latter Day, and you can find the King Follett Discourse. Um, King Follett Discourse. So, King and then Follett F O L L E T T Discourse. It's in uh, Journal of Discourse, Volume Six. Read it and know it because they will at least have heard some quotes from it, and they will know what you're talking about, even the newer ones. It's a big deal. Um, I'll just give you one quote for it, because this is probably the most important quote to know for it. But as we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity, I will refute that idea and take away and do away the veil so that you may see. And basically he goes in from there to explain how God was a man, and you yourself have to do what he did to become a god yourself. So go ahead and read it. Take the time. Print it out. Any other questions? Go ahead. I just wonder 
I don't. I, I'm gonna be honest. I I don't really understand the reason that they do that and the terminology for that. Um, but it, it being Mormon, like that's that's your thing. Before you do anything else, like you, as soon as like high school is done, right? You go to your training, and then they tell you where you're going, and you go and you do your your year and a half, your two years there, wherever you're gonna go, and then you come back, and then you start your life. Hopefully, you come back and you get married like right away. Yeah, you need to be married like pronto, get sealed in the temple, and you better start pumping out babies because they're going to start asking you every day why you haven't <laughs> had babies yet. It's, I mean, it, here's the thing. It's, the truth with the, with the Mormon church is they do put a big emphasis on the family. Sometimes an emphasis on the family that I wish um, Christians would, would put more emphasis on the family and the church and having children, right, and being married. And, like, I wish that we would put sometimes like half that effort into it it's just that their effort that they're putting into it is totally misplaced it's all in they're putting all this effort into it because that's how you get saved where i wish we would in a sense we could take from that and put that effort into it and really encourage young people who are getting married to having kids and stuff like that like that that part of that culture um i will say for them um they do it well they do Yeah, so they believe that Jesus came over here. So when, in the Bible, when it talks about their sheep, they're not of this fold and, and everything else. But what happened was after, you know, Jesus' resurrection and everything, he came over to the Americas and he witnessed to the native tribes over here, the Nephites. And there's a whole lot of history that goes into that. Essentially, they believe after his resurrection, he just came over here and then he preached over here. And then he was talking about the tribes of Israel, ten tribes, and the Jews that came over here. It's, there's no archaeological evidence for it, and they know that. Um, and it's, don't get into those arguments with them. It's not worth it. You will get nowhere. These are areas that I would avoid unless they bring it up. Um, because they're going to get you nowhere. And we want to we get as close to Jesus as we can. And these conversations just kind of push, push Jesus out of the way. But yeah, no, that's good. Take the time. Here's a book for you to read if you never read it, just for this section. It's called Kingdom of the Cults. Read the book. All these cults are in there. It's very well done, especially on Mormonism. What was your question? Um, yeah, actually, the church is going through a big split on that right now. Um, half the church, it's not okay. And the other half of the church, they, it's accepting. And, and they're, they're, they're going through a very big issue with that right now actually particularly at BYU and on the universities Um, but traditionally um, LGBTQ and uh, homosexuality and all that it's not accepted and you will be ostracized for it within the Mormon community I mean that's obviously a blanket statement but for the most part yeah none of them are going to know what you're talking about if you Talk to them about deep topics like this. You can use all the same terminology, and they're just going to sit there and agree with you because they think you're talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. At what point do you get, does a normal Mormon get taught that? Then? These days, never. They don't, um, and the reason that they don't is because it, it's like he's, it's, we talked about the MLS. Like as they grow in the church and they get higher up and they get access to more information and more books, more things from the church. That's when they learn, but. They, their, their numbers have suffered really bad at certain points, and I think they've, it, it really happened, when all this really changed was 
they found the papyri for what we, they call the Book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price. They found the papyri for that. The church themselves put experts onto this papyri to study it, to verify, yeah, Joseph Smith was 100% on with this translation. Um, and what happened was they translated it and realized this says nothing. <laughs> like, it's not even close. There wasn't even a single word correct that Joseph Smith some got right. There wasn't a single word. Um, and that really w- was hard. The church tried to hide that, and they kind of did. And uh, So basically, they don't go into these things with, with uh, newer members of the church anymore because they're so easily refutable, and there's so much information out there to destroy it that they're realizing they have to reel it back now and try and keep it as close to Orthodox Christianity as they can so they can keep these members. If they start getting with the crazy theologies that their church teaches, they, that's when they start losing people. So, At the temple event? Like when they get sealed? The, the average woman doesn't ever go into a temple, correct? <laughs> no, so the, in the temple, the only people that go in are like when they get married mm-hmm. and there's certain... It's a very secret thing. Mm-hmm. Very, very secret. Like... Um, Mormons aren't going to the temple. Oh, like in the ward? Um, yeah. They keep that a secret, too. I remember when I... No, they do. I went to one, and like we weren't allowed to take out our phones. I went for a funeral, and we weren't allowed to like have our phones or listens. Basically, the, what, it, what it mostly consists of, like half of it, is people come up and give their testimonies. Um, you can go to these things, and you can sit in the wards during their services, and like the first half is people coming up and giving, I testify that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. And, blah. and I've always been like super tempted to go and go up there and give my testimony of the true and living God, <laughs> and then getting like ran out. I've been super tempted, but then I, I, I try and think, I don't know, is that like the... Is that a, there's a biblical way to do this? So, um, but like half of it is that, and then it's typically, you know, they'll do like a little spiel from whatever section of whatever, mostly the Book of Mormon. They're not going to like teach the Bible, Bible, because um, that's the King James Version as far as it's translated correctly, and the only way to translate it correctly is to compare it to the Book of Mormon per se. So um, most of it's like testimony, though. Their, their, their whole religion and their whole faith and belief falls and like holds itself onto their testimony. Their last resort when you witness to them is always going to be, well, I testify to Joseph Smith being a true prophet. And when I prayed and I talked to God, the Holy Spirit, I felt the burning in the bosom is what they'll talk about, which is this burning in the chest. And that was... The Lord testifying to me that Joseph Smith was a true prophet, and you can't say I'm wrong because you didn't feel it, and I did. That's what it comes down to. It's very hard to break that. Very hard. My understanding of, like, on, on Sundays, they, um, they used to meet for three hours, I guess, but they've shortened it down to two recently because it's just too long. They split it into two sections. Yeah. Every other week, men and women split, and they have training for men and for women. Um, they're lay- laity-led, so there's, like, a guy who's not a pastor, but he's, like, the guy, but he's not paid. And he, he he's the one that does it, and they always have like a, a diocese structure where there's like it's like stake, and then I don't know the other ones down to what'd you call the local one? Award. Award, yes, award. Some else stake, and there's different um, positions over that, but um, it's it's laity. They come together and they recite these things, and it's not. Church. It's just it's repetitiveness. It's just constant reciting and giving your testimony. You're not going to get 
you're not going to get a Pastor Kurt in the Mormon church. You're just not going to get someone up there ex- giving you the word and ex- expositing on what it says. You're just, they don't get that, and that's why they are terrible when it comes to the Bible. Because the only thing that they're going to memorize are the things that affirm for them Mormonism. Any other? You got a question? We'll go for it. Yeah, spirit babies. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> you find some contradictions. You're... I think that's probably a great discussion. I don't want anybody to mutiny here, so I'll wrap it up. Thank you. Yes. Um... Thank you guys for your patience. Um, two minutes. I'll wrap this up real quick. Uh, I didn't get to the um, to the evangelism portion, but you said exactly what I was going to say. Essentially, um, I've not had a lot of experience, but I've, I've witnessed to more than a few Mormons. They will nod their head in agreement with everything you say, but they think something different than what you're saying. I found the best place of conflict, you know, uh, amicable conflict, is Christ. Specifically, Christ in the Scriptures. It's not all we can do plus Jesus, or we do our best. Jesus does the rest. That's works. So this idea, they have that idea. That's one. That's a Mormon saying. We do our best. Jesus does the rest. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and then you know we have obviously Ephesians, right? Mm-hmm. Saved by grace, yeah. not of works. But um, for them in the Book of Mormon, they kind of um, they flip it around, and um, he basically what does he say? He says, um, well, he uses terrible King James English, but he says like you've um, been saved by what is the second Nephi? I'll find it for you. But basically. It's been saved by grace after all that you can do. You can do. Yeah, that's And so, yeah, they got to work it. And, and if you, if you, I tried to read the King James, I mean, I tried to read the Book of Mormon. It reads like somebody 200 years later tried to write something down like the King James Version. It doesn't read the same. It's like, if, it just feels weird and clunky. But yeah, so Christ, who he really is, and then this idea if you can do your best in Christ as a rest, that's not a holy God. It's not a holy God. That's a God that's not offended by sin. So what do you do with your guilt, right? Well, what happened? You have, they're in, they're, they have the shame. They have the guilt. They can suppress it. They're heavily medicated. Depression's huge. What do you do with your guilt? Come to the, the Christ of Scripture. We'll take that away. It's not, you, your best can do anything. It's Christ. So that's, that's the point of evangelism with Christ. Um, thank you. Let me pray, and please continue to talk, but then you don't have to feel guilty if you want to get up and leave. Our Lord and our God, thank you, Father, for a time of discussion. Thank you for our brothers and sisters' willingness to kind of go back and forth. What, a, what an amazing thing it is, Father, to discuss uh, Christ, the true Christ, the one that has, has saved us, Father. I pray that um, you would give us opportunities to put these sort of things into action, Father. To, we don't have to learn. Um, as my brother said, all, all of the, uh, the, um, the, bro- the broadness of uh, the Mormon's teaching, we need to know the real Christ and where they falter from that, Father. Um, Thank you for this time, Lord, and uh, thank you for the Lord's day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.